Well, good morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience and mercy towards Moses, and we thank you for your patience and mercy towards us in the Lord Jesus. Help us this morning, please, to not be timid and cowardly, to not be afraid or lost in our own comfort, but instead to hear your call to us, to see your salvation in Moses and in Jesus, that we too might be part of your great work in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who should God send? I want you to think for a moment about the people in your own life, people who, who need you to minister to them, whether it's the Christians around you who need you to encourage them, to challenge them, maybe to rebuke them, who need you to speak God's word to them. Family members, friends, the, the, your, your peers at church, people in your Bible study group. Whether it's the non-Christians in your life, people who haven't yet heard of Jesus or who have heard but haven't given their life to him, who desperately need the gospel of life. Who should God send to them? Now, I've had numbers of conversations over the years with all sorts of people and usually the response to that question is, well, God should definitely send somebody very capable, very skillful, uh, who's able to speak very well, who is educated and learned, who can answer the hard questions, who can present the gospel in a compelling way who has had experience in these, that's definitely the sort of person that God should send into their life. Someone who's not me. Now, as we come to Exodus 3 and 4, it's the sort of passage, Adam, would you mind turning me down a tiny bit? I'm, I'm ringing in my ears and that means I'm too loud. It's the sort of passage that is very easy to see ourselves in. I mean, I don't know if, 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 as we read that, right, it, it's almost comical, isn't it, Moses' response? And yet, oh, so familiar to so many of us. It's very easy to read ourselves into this story. And in part, we, we are going to do a bit of a character study of the kind of person that God sends. But even more importantly, and this is true the whole way through Exodus, what we're going to see is a character study of the God who sends We'll see the people that he sends, but more importantly, it's about God. What I want to do this morning is, I do want to challenge you. I, I do want you to go from today feeling the weight of what you ought to do. But even more than that, what I want is to empower you, to strengthen you, to show you who your God is, that as you go on his mission, you would go with his might and his power behind you. Now, here's the story so far, right? You remember last week, Moses, little baby, in the basket, the ark, princess finds him, raises him 40 years later, so at the age of 40, Moses kills an Egyptian. The Hebrews reject him, and so he has to run for it. He just bolts. He's a wanted man by the Egyptians. He's rejected by the Israelites. He wanders in the desert, finds a pretty girl, marries her, settles down, has a family. And now another 40 years has passed since those events. Right? So from chapter 2 to chapter 3, uh, we read in Acts chapter 7, if you're curious where it comes from, in Stephen's speech, he says uh, Moses was 40 when he left Egypt and then 80 when God came and spoke to him. So you just picture him now. Have we got any over 80s here today? I think 
We've got, there you go. Well done, John, right? Here is Moses, an old man now. He's lived his life. He's had his family. He's, he's in his twilight years. He's ready to just slowly wind down, out walking with the sheep, not having to do anything too strenuous. And in the middle of nowhere, I mean, that's what Horeb, this Mount Horeb means desolation. In the middle of nowhere, something astonishing happens. Pick it up with me again in chapter 3 and verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire and not consumed. Moses thought, I better go and have a look. That sounds very interesting. Why isn't the bush burning up? Probably not quite so Aussie as he said it. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Don't come closer. Take the sandals off your feet. The place you are standing is holy ground. And listen to what God said. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. And Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Can you imagine Moses' heart leaping for joy at that point in time? It's happening. 400 years, roughly, Israel had been in Egypt. That's what God had promised Abraham, by the way. None of this was a surprise to him. God had promised Abraham they would go and be slaves in a foreign nation for 400 years. And now, finally, God was about to do something. The salvation was coming. The time of silence was over. Wow! And then verse 10 happened. Therefore, go... <laughs> I'm sending you. And Moses' heart dropped. I mean, it's one thing to be told that God is about to save the world. That's all well and good. That's brilliant. It's another thing to be told, you're the one who's got to go and do it. Excuse me? <laughs> Come again, God? Sorry, I don't think I quite heard you rightly. You're sending... Me, says Moses, you do know the situation right now, right God? Like You're omnipotent, all-knowing, so, you know, but just in case you missed it, I'm a wanted man and I've been rejected by Israel and I'm 80 and I'm old. And I, what, what do you mean you're sending me? I haven't even been there in 40 years. I mean, you think about where you were 40 years ago. Where were you 40 years ago? I won't tell you where I was. I'll give a, that'll give away how young I am. Right? I mean, you're just even trying to remember. You want me to go back to Egypt? I don't even know that place. In fact, think about it this way. Moses is 80 now. So the guy who was a pharaoh when he was a baby, the guy who ordered all the babies killed, he's probably long gone. It might be his son, if not even his grandson. We might have gotten through two or three pharaohs by now. It might be Moses' nephew who is now the Pharaoh. They don't know me. The court is gone. Why are you sending me? And he raises four objections that may sound all too familiar. 
Listen to Moses' four objections. Now, uh, I'm conscious that you don't have an outline on, on your handout there. I'm very sorry. I'll blame staff attack for that. So there you go. If you're following along, here are the four reasons why not me. The f Moses' four objections. And his first one, you could say, well, that's not, not a bad reason, is it? The humility that he shows. Have a look at verse 11. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It's a fair question. Who, who am I that I should be the one who brings your salvation into the world? I, I'm no one. Somebody uh, described Moses' life in this way. It's very cute. Moses spent 40 years thinking that he was someone to then spend 40 years learning that actually he's a no one to then spend 40 years seeing what God can do with a nobody. Right now he's at the peak of who am I? Old, lost, doddering. And God's answer is fascinating because God's answer is who you are is irrelevant. Hey, look at verse 12. God answered, I will certainly be with you. This will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. <laughs> Why does it matter who you are, Moses? I will be with you. That's the bit that matters. You are the one that I send. That's it. You can be the weakest, smallest, most insignificant ambassador the world has ever seen to the greatest superpower and you just watch them roll out the red carpet. It's not about you, it's about the power behind you. You are the one that I will be with. You're complaining that you're a nobody in the middle of nowhere? Well actually, this nowhere, God says, is my place and this nobody is my messenger. Well, well, okay, God. So you're sending me, says Moses. Fair enough. Um, second objection then, if, if you don't mind, sir. Um, who are you? <laughs> I mean, you're telling me it doesn't matter who I am because you're going to come with me. Well, then who are you? What's your personality? Who is this God that is sending? Have a look, verse 13, his second objection. Then Moses asked God, well, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? That's not the name so much that is concerned for us, the character. It's the, who, who is this God? It's a sort of a strange question, isn't it? But then again, if you remember, 400 years have passed since, as, as far as we know, the last person had a direct relationship with God. In fact, through the rest of the Bible, we learn that in those 400 years, it, a large chunks of Israel had given up the worship of the living God. They'd taken over worshipping the Egyptian gods. They'd forgotten about theirs. If I come and say, God sent me, they're going to ask, well, which God? Who is he? What is he like? I mean, you're saying that you're going to go to Egypt and fight against the gods of Egypt. They've got some pretty big gods. I mean, 
You might have seen one of them, right? That big sun that crosses over. That's one of their gods. This big god. Who are you to come and fight against them? Who are you to call for the obedience of Israel? Who are you, God? And God answers the very strange reply. Have a look at verse 14. Who are you? Well, God replied to Moses. You want to know my name? Here it is. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to sent me to you. What a strange name. It reminded me of uh, this little cartoon I saw a while ago. Uh, a, a person is trying to register themselves, and so you know, what's your name? And he says, Well, my name is Eric with a K. He's like, Oh, okay, Eric, right? And what's your last name? With a K. No, no, we got that. I got I got Eric's with a K. But what's your last name? Well, with a K. <laughs> No, 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 I, I, sorry, I understand that. I, I, know, I know you've got Eric with a K, right? But No, no, my surname is with a K. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, right, Eric, E-R-I-K. With, no, 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 Eric with a C. <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it's a strange kind of a, I, I am? But you see what he's saying? Who is this God? Well, he's the God who just is. He's not the God of, or the God from, or the God who's subject to, or the God of a place, or the God... No, He is God. He exists free from anything and anyone. He's not bound, He's not subject. The, the Egyptian gods all had their own little domain, right? The God of the sun, and the goddess of fertility, and the... No, no, I just am. Before time, before space, before people, before I am. But notice the second half of his reply in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. You see, the God who is, who is free of everything, has bound himself to one people by his own promise. Which God is it? It's your God. The God of your fathers. The God of the promise. The God who is perfectly free and all-powerful and yet who has bound himself by his word. Now that's amazing. Right, the, the, the gods of the, of the Egyptians, they just existed. They didn't care for you very much at all. As much as you could give them your sacrifice or whatever, they might be pleased with you, they might not. They might not ever even notice you. Whereas our God is the God who, in all of his majesty and splendor and power, has chosen to make promises. And so be ours. Who are you? Well, you go tell them that I am sent you. Well, okay, Moses says, sure, I, I am who you're going to say I am. You are who you say you are. Why should they believe me? Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they won't obey me? And they say, well, the Lord didn't appear to you. 
Now again, it does all sound a little bit far-fetched, doesn't it? Moses, old man who ran away 40 years ago, who actually has never been one of part, part of God's people because he grew up as an Egyptian and he, he really was just a complete outsider, comes in as an old man, can't even speak properly and you're going to tell me that you saw God in a burning bush that didn't burn up and he spoke to you and you're not dead because God speaking to you should have killed you and he said, hey Moses, you're now the boss. Like really? Sounds a little bit... Okay, God says, fair enough, here's some signs. They might sound a little bit familiar if you've got your Bible ears on. You are going to have authority over the snake. You're going to be one who has healing even over a dead heart. You are the one who will show that I, the Lord God Almighty, turn life into death. And I got that the right way around, by the way. We like to preach the God who has the other power to turn death into life. That's a nice God. But God says, if they won't listen to you, you show them, I am the one who has the power to turn life into death. God can do everything that is necessary for people to believe. And God is the one who will deal with those who will not. Well, okay, God, let's say they believe me. The problem, God, is that I'm not really a very good speaker, says Moses. Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses replied to the Lord, please, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. And I love this next sentence. Either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, right? Can you see, God, even in the last five minutes, I haven't suddenly become eloquent. It's no good. My mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Now, I don't know what the problem was. Did he have a speech defect? Some suggested maybe he had a stutter or something. We don't know. Maybe he was just a really slow talker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a silly objection. But you know what? I reckon out of all the objections I've heard in the years to Christians speaking, this is the single most common. Me no speak good. That's not always that you can't actually speak well. It's just, I don't know the answers. I don't know the words. I'm going to fluff it up. I'm going to put my foot in it. I'm going to make it worse than not. God's almost amused. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who put a mouth in humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Isn't it me? Now go. I will help you speak. I'm going to teach you what to say. What do you think I meant when I said I will be with you? We do it all the time, don't we? I, I, can't, I can't speak well. I don't know the answers. God's the God who invented language. And your mouth and your tongue and your larynx and your voice box. He's the one who gave ears to the other person and whose hand is over their brain. He is the one who controls communication such that even if you were to just completely stuff it up, do you think he can't use that? Do you want me to tell you the worst sermon ever preached? I'm going to preach it to you right now. You ready? Here's the worst sermon ever preached. 
40 days, Nineveh destroyed. That was it. That was the whole sermon that the guy preached. You might remember him. A little prophet called Jonah. And do you know what God did with that? The entire city was converted. And you're going to tell me you can't speak. (laughs) In fact, by the end of Deuteronomy, Moses was perhaps the single best public speaker the world has ever known. That's not to say God's going to do that with you. You see, in the end, Moses really just didn't want to, did he? It's there in verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, just send someone else. Let's, let's just cut to the chase. I mean, I, I, I tried my lame excuses. They didn't work. Just, I don't want to. Maybe, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's a wrong sense. Maybe it's a lack of trust of God that he actually will do anything. Whatever it was. I think this is perhaps my favourite bit in the whole story. Because, gee, God's kind. Even in his anger, look at verse 14, even in his anger, God was already being kind to Moses. The Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, you naughty boy. No, he said, isn't Aaron the Levite, he can speak, he's already on his way. I knew you were going to say no. I knew you are a big wussbag. It's okay. Your brother's already on his way. He'll help you. You both talk. It's all right. I've got it covered. Oh, the mercy, the kindness of our God. Have you seen yourself in this story yet? <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing is, this story isn't really about Moses. It's actually not really a story about us either. I mean, it's easy to see ourselves in it. It's very easy to apply it this way and to just say, right, look at us. But it's not a story about either of us. It's a story about God. As all of Exodus is, as all the Bible is, as all of our lives are. A story about the God who saves. This is the very beginning of a journey that would result in another baby boy escaping slaughter to grow up and save the world. It's a story about God's power. A power over Moses. I mean, a power over a bush to make it burn. A power over tongues and lips and mouths. Power over Aaron. Power, we'll see very soon, over Pharaoh. Power over all the gods of Egypt. Power over nature itself. Power over life and over death. And yes power over you and me the i am the one who is the one who is free from all who has bound himself by his own word who is able and willing to act it's about his power nothing stops him how good is it to be on his side how good is it to have him with us why are you worrying moses Whatever it is that you're afraid, why are you worrying about it? You know, it's about his power, it's about his personality. The God who doesn't change, the same God yesterday, today and forever. The I am who we meet in Jesus, the one who is constant in love and in mercy. He hasn't changed. 
That kindness to Moses of bringing Aaron along, gee, that same kindness gets stretched out to us so often. In the Lord Jesus, we meet it most of all. It's about the promise of God. That's a promise he made to Moses, I'll be with you. It's a promise he made to the Lord Jesus, I will be with you. It's a promise he made to his disciples, go to the very end of the age, what? I will be with you. It's a promise to us that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the news of salvation to all the world that we are to take and he will be with us. It's about the provision of God. Who is God sending today? God sent Aaron to Moses. He sent Moses to Israel. In the end, he sent the true Israel to the cross to die for the sin of the world. And what was the last sending that he did? Go to the world. Make disciples of all nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go. I, the one who has all authority and all power, the I am, sends you. And we'll be with you. Moses had such a tremendous challenge before him. I mean, I, I understand the man's hesitation. I get it. I'm half his age, as he was, and I'm tired. I can't imagine how he was feeling. What a tremendous task. I mean, an exciting task, a marvelous task. God's salvation is at hand. Now's the day of. I mean, wow. And yet so daunting. The size of the task. Take the million Israelites out of the hands of their slave masters. The work needed was tremendous. The difficulty of what lay ahead. Now I tell you, our challenge is perhaps just as difficult, but no less tremendous. I mean, we're not, we're not going to have a sideline view to the battle of the gods. We, we, we don't have to go to Pharaoh and stand in the courts of princes and say, let my people. Moses' story is unique and, and the Bible will keep coming back to this story time and again. That we're not called to relive his story. But at the same time, ours is very similar, isn't it? When is the day of salvation? Yeah, Today! Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when the gospel goes out to the ends of the world, saves men, women and children and matures the saints. Today. That excitement that Moses had as the bush burned and God said, it has begun, ought to be our excitement today. Tomorrow may be too late. And yet isn't it a daunting task? God's salvation is at hand, but gee, it looks like a big job. Called to make disciples of all nations. Now in our, in our parish right now, from here up to the, the tip of Glenfield, right into Panorama, the, the little spot out to Crossroads and Long Point, let's not forget Long Point. It's about 60,000 people in our parish. We've got 50, 15 years, sorry, 15 years before that becomes 90,000. 
the task just get just get, get, keep getting bigger. Do you know who's taking the gospel to those people? Who's committed to them? Who's praying for them? Who has the words of eternal life and a heart to reach them? Do you know who it is? Us. And that's about it. There's a couple of little other pockets. They're small, they're struggling. It's us. And you know what? As we take the gospel to those people, do you know what's going to happen? In God's kindness, by his promise, some of them are going to join us. They're going to hear the gospel, they're going to be saved. They are now going to become Christians who need to be matured as well. So the size of the task isn't just the 90,000 out there. Just picture it for a moment, right? What's 1% of 90,000? Anyone who's good at maths? What's 1% of 90,000? 900. Thank you very much. So if we take the gospel out and just 1% of our parish comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, how big is our church? Let's be kinder. Let's just say it's half a percent. Let's set a realistic target. That's actually a very average size Anglican church. That's still 450 people that need the gospel to mature them. That's what we're talking about, right? Maturing the saints, reaching the lost. The size of the task before us is daunting, isn't it? There's nobody else but us. This is who God is. Is using who should God send <laughs> let's get back to that question we started with the people in your life your neighbor your work colleague your family member the Christians around you the bus driver your children's teachers the person who made you the coffee this morning the person who will make you the coffee when church is over who should God send well not me because I'm a bit weak not me, because I, I don't really speak good. Not me, because I haven't done the course yet. <laughs> not, not, not. It's, it's us, isn't it? And that's why today what we need more than anything else is to remember the God who sends. Because, yeah, I feel weak and frail and not up to the task and incompetent and, and all the things that I've tried and it's just been hard and it looks hard and I'm afraid and it, it, yes and so what we need more than anything else is the God of all that is the I am who is for us who has already done it all in the Lord Jesus Christ and is now amazingly at work in the world us. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that it is your power and your might that took Moses to Egypt, that rescued your people, that took the Lord Jesus to the cross to rescue us all. And we praise you that it is still your power and your might and your promise that today takes the gospel of salvation and has entrusted it to us. This precious, precious package that we have, these words of eternal life, 
Father, in the lives of each one of us, would you teach us to trust you, to be bold, to be unafraid, to know that that same power and that same promise is still true today, that we in turn might be faithful as those you have called to make disciples of the world. And we ask it for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.